Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. have a seat. Welcome to Horizon West Church. Uh, those in the room, those online, uh, we are fortunate because uh, about two hours ago, three hours ago maybe, uh, it was not looking good outside, right? Uh, we had like a really, uh, I think it was like a, uh, anyway, I'm not going to tell you. I don't want to freak you out, but it's better now, right? Um, and ironically enough, I actually wanted to start with a storm analogy, and God just gave us a, a, a real life picture of what happens when storms come. Um, I, am a, I am a 90s kid through and through. Uh, I was eight years old. Yeah, go ahead, 90s kids. Thank you, Annie and others. Uh, eight years old when the 90s started, uh, middle of my senior year, the 90s uh, chapter closed. So like movie references, music references, I'm unapologetically you know, coming from that place. This is, who knows what this movie is or scene from this movie? Y'all know, shout it out. Twister, right? This is one of the all-time great movies. If you don't know, Twister, uh, basically storm chasers, they chase tornadoes, um, they're kind of adrenaline junkies, great movie. Um, at the end of the movie, a Category 5 storm, Category 5 Twister blows through. The, the heroes of the movie are out in the middle of nowhere, they've got nowhere to go except this old rickety shed, but they find a pipe and they anchor themselves, tether themselves down to the pipe. The Category 5 storm blows through, blows everything away, but our heroes remain intact because they're tethered to the pipes in the ground. All right. Well, if you're anything like most of the world, this past year has been a storm of some level, right? Maybe Category 2 in your life, maybe Category 4. For some of you, it's been Cat 5. The, the, the health challenges, the, the loss of a loved one, the, the impact on your marriage, your family, your job, your finances. You've said, man, we're in the middle of a high magnitude, high category storm. And what I want to answer tonight, or what I seek to want to answer together, is this question. How do you remain anchored in the midst of the storm? We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6. We're continuing our our rebuild series. Uh, Feel free to go there if you've got a copy of God's Word or an app that can get you there. Uh, I want to look tonight at four promises of God that I believe Nehemiah had anchored himself to, that similarly we have the opportunity to anchor ourselves Two in the middle of the storms of our life. Let me, let me go to Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm going to read a few verses beginning at verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come let us meet together at a place I can't pronounce in the plains of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. And so I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. What we see in the book of Nehemiah in this this story of the rebuilding of God's, uh, of of the wall in Jerusalem is opposition like almost no other place in all of scripture. It is constant. It is relentless. It begins in chapter 2 when when the enemies of God are just kind of 
questioning Nehemiah's motive. We know why you're really doing this. You're really rebelling against the king, which was not at all the case. Starts with questioning of motives, then it moves into mockery. Oh, aren't these Jewish people cute trying to build this wall? If even a little fox were to run on it, the whole thing would crumble. They'll never, they'll never finish the job. But as the work continues, the opposition ramps up. And in chapter 4, they start threatening. All right, well, if you won't stop, we're going to come in and we're going to, right? Because their fear is growing. They're seeing they can't stop the work, so they resort to threatening. So in chapter 6, we see kind of the, the crescendo of this opposition. And it's the last desperate effort of the enemies of God to stop the work of God. And what they do in chapter 6 is they're going to change tactics. They've been trying to come direct, right? Question them, mock them, threaten them. Now they're going to resort to trickery. Now, now they're going to try to run an end around and deceive Nehemiah into their trap. They invite him to meet with them on what's called the Plains of Ono. By the way, when someone invites you to Ono, you say, yeah, right? It's not exactly what Nehemiah said. What, what Nehemiah actually said is this in verse 3. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Nehemiah does not try to reason with the enemies of God. He, he does not try to, uh, to, to compromise with them. He says, what I'm doing is too important for me to get caught up in your nonsense. First promise of God that I believe Nehemiah is anchored to and that we are to anchor to as well is this. God has called me. God has called me to this work. You know, I, I, I internalize this for myself. I'm going to give you my examples of how I, I apply this, this promise. I, I want you to do the same for yourself. As a pastor, I can endure difficult seasons because I know God has called me to the work of ministry. So when I'm a year and a half into a, a new congregation and momentum and, and the wind of God is with us and for us, and then the government says, oh, by the way, you can't meet anymore, and we got to figure out the online, and we gotta, we got to navigate this murky waters of a global pandemic. And Oh, oh and then we're going to have uh, political volatility, and, and everybody's going to be in a different place, and you're going to have to... I endure the work of ministry because I know God's called me to it. I don't wake up every day and go, do I want to be a pastor today? Because when I was 15 years old, God said, Chris, I'm going to set you aside to be a pastor. In the same way as a husband, I can remain faithful because I know that God has called me to my marriage. I don't wake up the, night, or the morning after a fight and go, let's see, do I want to be married today? No, God has called me to marriage. I can, as a father, persevere through the challenges of parenting because I know God's called me to lovingly lead and shepherd my children. So, so it's the clarity, it's the sense of God's calling in my life that gives me the stability I need and also it gives me guardrails. When something is outside of my calling, I know that it is either not an opportunity for me or it's opposition. Either way, I don't need to mess with it. I can take the road that God has called me to. See, it's our sense of being called by God that enables us to look up to him for strength when we're tempted to look for a way out. Uh, Pastor Jimmy Knott, who's now retired uh, at, at our John Young campus for, for many years, uh, in fact, I think more than 40 years he was there serving the Lord, one of the things he said to me, and it, it stuck with me, he said, if you give in to your feelings, you will give up on your responsibilities. If you give in to your feelings, you're going to give up on your responsibilities. It, it's when you know that God has called you to the responsibility he's put before you that you can persevere in it. This is what the Apostle Paul did regularly 
was he came back to the calling God had placed on his life. Did you know that three times in the book of Acts, we hear the story of Saul's conversion? Why? Because it was not only where God converted his heart through faith in Jesus, but it's where he was called to ministry. And so when Paul was shipwrecked for the second and third time, when Paul was stoned, when Paul was beaten, when riots broke out just because he crossed a city limit, when he was imprisoned for months or years at a time, Paul would say this, like he started his letter to the Romans and to the Corinthians, he said, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul, how do you endure this? How do you not give up? Because God has called me. This is what I am to put my hands to. I don't question that. Nehemiah was able to avoid the enemy's trap because his eyes were fixed on the call of God and not on the criticism of others. Right? If we get caught up in what people think of us or what the opposition is doing to us, we will get off track. But we keep our eyes, like we said in the song, God, I look to you. These people didn't call me. I look to you. You have called me to the work. Go back to Nehemiah 6. Nehemiah 6, pick it up at verse 5. There's going to be some words I'm not even going to try to pronounce here, so just bear with me for a second. Uh, In the same way, Sambalot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand, and it was written this. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that is why you are building this wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And that you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So let us come and take counsel together. And then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say uh, has been done, for you are inventing this out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands." The first observation I make in these verses is the relentlessness of the opposition that Nehemiah faced. Not only did multiple waves of opposition come, but this one track, this meet us at the plains of Ono, these guys were really sure this was like their best shot. So they came at him and Nehemiah said, I'm not coming. And so they came a second time, I'm not coming. A third time, a fourth time. And then a fifth time they come with this open letter and it's full of deception. And Nehemiah says, You're fabricating this. You're just making this up. This isn't real, right? Relentless. If we were to be honest with one another, probably every single one of us has an area of life or an area of temptation that has been relentless in opposing us. It's the thing that since we were a child or or a teenager or a young adult, it's like, man, this area of struggle, this storm, this temptation, it's the one that seems to always get the best of me, and it's, it's relentless against me. Like you, I had those. I have those. And so in high school, I, I laid hold of a promise in James chapter 4, verse 7 that says this, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I thought, fantastic. <laughs> I know, I know the way. I have to submit to God and then the devil has to run away. But, but here's what I didn't understand when I was in high school and I've come to understand. It doesn't always happen immediately. Don't you wish that like the moment you were tempted, if you would just go, okay, God, help me, it's over. But it's not like that, is it? Sometimes there's a season of temptation and it seems relentless and it just keeps coming. And the word says, submit to God. Not not just for the moment, 
but for the season. Just continue to submit yourself to God. And the promise is that when you resist the devil, he may not flee immediately, but he must flee eventually. Eventually, the enemy will run because he cannot overcome you. This is exactly what happened to Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4 and again in Luke chapter 4 tell us that for 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus endured a season of temptation. We know there were three specific temptations that came, but we tend to think of it like it was just three times that the enemy showed up. No, it was relentless. Day 1, day 2, day 10, day 20, day 33, day 38, day 39, day 40, and Jesus just continued to submit himself to the Father. And what ended up happening, Luke 4.13 tells us, that when the devil had ended ended every temptation, he departed from him, uh uh-oh, until an opportune time. The enemy said, okay, fine, you won this round. I got to flee. I got to get out of here now, but I'm going to come back. I don't know that this, is, uh, this doesn't come uh, from a Bible in verse, and, and you'll know that because it's a gambling illustration, but this is how I've come to think of this. If you ever played Texas Hold'em, or, or maybe you're a good Christian and you've watched World Series of Poker because you don't actually play poker, but whatever it is, I'm just teasing. Um, you, know how, you know how it works, right? Everybody gets their hand, and then if you think you got a good hand, you put some chips on the table, and somebody else thinks they got a good hand, they might put some chips on the table, Well, every once in a while, maybe uh, there's somebody at the table who's bluffing. They don't have a good hand, but they keep putting chips on the table because what? They want you to do what? To fold. And they get all the chips. Can I tell you that I've come to believe this is how the enemy of our soul works? He has no hand. He's holding a two and a nine. Like, he's got nothing. But he goes, I'm going to put some more chips on the table. Like, Oh, man. You know, he wants us to fold. But if we stand our ground, we submit to God, we trust the promise that, that God is with us and he's for us, eventually the enemy doesn't want to lose all his chips and he goes, all right, I'm done, I'm out, okay? Until the next hand. And, and so what, what I've come to learn is that if I will continue to submit myself to God, there's going to be a breakthrough. I will overcome. I just have to trust and hang on till that breakthrough comes. We know that this is the way it works, right? We, we, we know it in the physical. If you were to go into LA Fitness or Anytime Fitness or Orange Theory or any other number of gyms in our area, you're going to see people there submitting themselves to heavy weights because they understand that you build the body through resistance. That when resistance comes, if you will push against it, your muscles grow. And it is the same in the spiritual. When the resistance of temptation or trials or storms come, if we submit ourselves to God, if we stand our ground in it, it's not just that we remain neutral, we get stronger. Jesus came out of 40 days in the wilderness unstoppable because he was in the, the workout center of resistance. So, so don't get think, oh man, I'm all, so much temptation has God abandoned me. No, God is with you in it, giving you the strength that you need. This is the second promise that we're going to look at. Nehemiah believed this. God will strengthen me. You see that in verse 9, right? He says, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. Let me ask you a question just for for reflection. Are you more likely to say, God, lighten my load or God, strengthen my hands? I'll volunteer. I'm the first one. (laughs) God, this is too much. I can't do this. You got to take this away. You got to get me past this. I can't. Nehemiah said, no, no, no. I'm going to endure. God's called me to it. 
So, so God, you got to strengthen my hands. Now, some of you, the reason your hands are dropping is because you've put too much in them, right? This is why calling is so important. Some of you have stepped into things God hasn't called you to do. You just don't know how to say no. You don't know your own limitations. You're like, God, strengthen my hands. He's like, no, no, no. I didn't mean for you to take this, this on, right? You took on too much. God won't strengthen us for a work he didn't call us to do. But if God's called you to it, like he's called you to your marriage, like he's called you to your family, like he's called you to your work, if that is in fact the case, then the prayer is not God lighten my load, it's God strengthen my hands. If you've called me to this, then you've got to give me the strength to get through it. And I love how Nehemiah, and it's not just in chapter 6, it's all throughout the book, it's like opposition is a cue to him to turn to God. Every single time. Opposition comes, he turns to God. Just like he does here, oh God, strengthen my hands. One of the things that's out there that, that really concerns me is what I would call the, the gospel of self-empowerment. There are, there are preachers in, in Christian churches and they're using the Bible and, and they're, uh, in, in many ways they seem legit, but if you notice the way they talk about, uh, about the strength that they have or the strength that you can have, it's what I call the gospel of self-empowerment. It's like, if you believe it, you can do it and there's nothing too hard for you because God, you know? And it's like, wait a second. And they'll even sometimes go to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. And then forget the last part of that verse is what? Through Christ who strengthens me. Paul knew, man, I'm, I'm nothing on my own. I'm crucified with Christ. But Christ lives in me. Because I have strength from God, I can do all things. Paul is not referring to some burst of supernatural energy that makes him a superhero. Paul's saying, I can endure opposition. I can endure hardship because Christ is in me and Christ gives me the strength I need. Go back to Nehemiah 6. Let's pick it up at verse 10. Here's the hard words. I told you they were in the last passage. Here's the tough ones. Pray for me. No, I'm now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of another guy, he was uh, confined to his home and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Uh, they're going to come kill you by night. Verse 11, but Nehemiah said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should become afraid and act in a way and sin so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. So Lord, remember Tobiah and Sambalot according to the things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of those prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Let me highlight a principle here that isn't one of the four promises, but I don't want to overlook it. This passage teaches us that if it knocks you off the mission God gave you, it is not from God. No matter how good it sounds, uh, no matter how good it makes you feel, anything that takes you off of God's mission for you is not from God. Shemaiah dressed up this, uh, this presentation, right? Hey, Nehemiah, I'm just trying to look out for you. Oh, and by the way, let's go to the temple, you know, the, the sacred place where, where God, like, let's go there and then you'll be safe. And Nehemiah says, I know what you're up to. I, God's called me to the work. I'm not going to run and hide when God has called me to a mission. He, he, he and, and I love this, uh, what I would call holy confidence that Nehemiah exhibits here. 
He knows God has called him. He knows that God will strengthen him. And the third promise, he knows that God will protect him. If God has called you to a work, you're invincible until the work is finished. Right? You go, God, I'm stepping out. Doesn't, doesn't mean I'm going to live forever. But as long as you've got work for me, I, I, I'm invincible. I can't be touched. And, and the flip side of that is true as well. As long as you've got breath in your lungs, God has work for you to do. Right? Nehemiah understood that. Matthew chapter 16 is somewhat of a parallel passage in my mind because Jesus is getting ready to enter Jerusalem with his disciples. He knows that God has called him to the cross. He knows the Father is going to give him the strength to endure it. And he knows that three days after he suffers and dies, God's going to raise him to life again. So he's protected. And he starts explaining this to the disciples. And one of them, who was somewhat shy and bashful, a young man named Peter, who was not at all shy or bashful, says, oh Lord, this is never going to happen to you, right? And remember what Jesus says? Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man, right? It sounds good. Jesus, I'm looking out for you. You got 11 guys, 12 guys here. We're not going to let you be turned over. Remember Peter, when it happens, he pulls out the sword, starts swinging it. And Jesus is like, Peter, stop. Put away your sword. Why? Because Jesus understood, if it takes me off my mission, it's not from the Father. When you say, oh Jesus, you're never going to suffer, that sounds like what the enemy's been whispering in my ear. That's not from God. Truth is, some of us, in well-meaning ways, knock people off their mission because we think we're being a good friend. Oh, you know, God would never have you go through that. You pray that it ends. Pray. In some cases, God's saying, no, 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 go through it. Go through it, trust me, hang on to me, I will protect you. I love that Nehemiah says this in verse 11. Should such a man as I run away? <laughs> now, Nehemiah is not like flexing his muscles here. He's going, I'm a man called of God and equipped and strengthened for a mission. I'm not running. I'm not hiding. This work is too important. I'm not going to fall for your trap. God has called me. God will strengthen me. He will protect my life. I will not be afraid. Holy confidence. One of the things that has unnerved me over the past year was times when I or others of us that I've observed have exhibited a sense of dread or panic about what's going on in the world. It is not fitting for Christians to panic, right? And when we do, when we go, man, if, if this uh, happens or if, if this takes place and if the economy, you know what the world looks at and goes, yeah, that's about what we do as well. I thought you guys were anchored. I thought you had a God that you were confident in. Well, well, Nehemiah had that holy confidence, and it's the same holy confidence that's exhibited all throughout the Old Testament. Like the young men Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stood up to a king and said, Nehemiah, or said Nebuchadnezzar, you can throw us in the fire. We're not bowing to your idols. The God we serve is able to deliver us, and he did. Holy confidence like what Esther did when she went before the king and said, and if I perish, I perish, and she saved her people. Holy confidence like what Peter and John demonstrated in Acts chapter 4 when the religious leaders who had the power to put them to death said, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. And they said to them, judge for yourselves whether it's right to obey you rather than God, but we cannot stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And my favorite of all, the holy confidence of a teenager named David with a sling and a stone who said to a giant in battle armor, 
said this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Whew, there's a mic drop moment, that's it, right? You go, man, David's pretty sure of himself. No, he wasn't. David had a holy confidence in God. David knew that this giant Goliath had picked a fight with God, and God doesn't lose fights. So David could step out, not because he had better armor or better uh, instruments. He stepped out because he had God on his side, and he knew that in God, the work would be finished. God would protect him. Over Christmas break, there was a, a, a particular morning, and I don't know if I was watching too much news or social media or what, but I woke up like it was still dark out, and my mind was just racing with anxiety. Anybody ever had that? It was not about like a sick child or about my finances. It was more like existential kind of stuff, like political and global and, and all the pandemic and all the, 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 the turmoil in the streets and, all, and, and, man, the stock market. And it was just like, man, what, what kind of world am I going to hand my kids? What kind of world are, are my grandkids going to grow up? And, it was, and I was just riddled with anxiety. You have to learn when that happens. You just lay it down before God. God, uh, uh, God is, is for us. He's with us, right? We're not, our confidence isn't like stock market's up. Things are good today. Stock market's down. Now we're panicking, right? We, we can be fearless because we know that we live not at the mercy of our circumstances, but at the mercy of our God. That's the difference with people who are believers in Jesus Christ is we have a holy confidence in the mercy of God. Let me read two more verses from Nehemiah 6, uh, shoot, and I lost my place. <laughs> I'll just read it from here. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. L leave that up there for just a moment. I said earlier that we see these stages of opposition coming against Nehemiah. It's first questioning his motives and then mockery and then threatening and then they're trying to deceive him and the end result is that they're just trembling in fear because they couldn't stop it. They could not stop it. Fourth promise that I want to give you tonight is this. God will finish the work. God will finish the work. Go, go back again. Notice what it says in verse 16. What, what happened to the nations around them? Uh, maybe go back one more. It says that they fell greatly in their own esteem. Like the undefeated heavyweight fighter who gets knocked on his back and is never quite the same. The nations around Israel, the, the unbelieving nations, went, uh-oh, the people of God are back. <laughs> the wall's built. This God who parted a Red Sea for them, that parted a Jordan River for them, the God that knocked down the walls of Jericho for them, like, he's back. And they had to acknowledge it. They perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of God. Oh, what, what was it, I wonder, about these unbelieving nations who were not worshipers of Yahweh? What was it about this work that caused them to know that God was in it? I, I want to give you two things. First, because Nehemiah had staged it that way all along. Nehemiah never said, man, we got, we got pretty good folks over here. We got power tools. <laughs> like, we can build this wall. We, we have what it takes. Nehemiah said, our God is with us and we will prosper. Our God is for us and we will succeed. We cannot fail. It is God who has driven the work forward. So when the work was completed, guess what? They went, oh, I guess Nehemiah was right. God was with them and God was for them. And not only that, 
Not only had Nehemiah staged it that way, but the work was so great that they knew it could not have been accomplished without the help of God. 52 days for a ragtag group of non-builders emigrating back to Jerusalem from other places and speaking other languages to build the wall in 52 days was seismic. And the surrounding nations went, there's only one way something like that gets accomplished. God must be in the work. I want to give you two questions as we move toward closing here. The first one's kind of more personal, and the second one is for us collectively. The first question is this. Do people know that your abilities, your successes, and the health in your relationships are the result of God's work in your life and not just because you're a great person? A lot of good people in your neighborhood, a lot of good people in your workplace, no one's, no one's coming to saving faith in Jesus because you're a nice person. People come to faith in Jesus because they see a life that's been transformed and they know why and how it happened. One of the reasons I love the Celebrate Recovery ministry is, is this very thing. It's people who have stepped into the light and said, hey, my life was in shambles and, and Jesus put it back together. And when it becomes undeniable that the work has been done by God, it causes God to be glorified by even unbelievers. So I think what Jesus meant when he said, let your light shine in such a way that others may see it and glorify God. They knew what it was that caused Nehemiah to be successful. Second question, this is for us as a church. What would it look like for Horizon West Church to take on an assignment so big that it could only be accomplished with the help of our God? It's not inspired text, but I, I want to take you to the end of, uh, not the end of, but the, the um, Nehemiah chapter 6 one more time. I'm going to find it here. I'm going to find it. Nehemiah chapter 6, it's, it's not, in, the, it is inspired. What I mean is the chapter headings are not inspired, but let me show you what my chapter headings say in Nehemiah chapter 6. The first part says, conspiracy against Nehemiah, and if you turn the page, the second part says this, the wall is finished. <laughs> And I love that those two things happen in the same chapter because it tells me that even in the face of opposition, we can finish the work. Like right when the opposition reached its highest, God finished the work. The task was completed. Friends, you might be in the middle of an incredible storm and you're just barely hanging on and you're like, man, I'm ready to give up. Don't give up because God may be ready to break through. You, it may be just around the corner. And when it comes to the, the work that God wants to do in our life, let me remind you that Paul said this in Philippians 1.6, the very one who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. God's not done with you. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.